this. I got peace like a river. I got joy like a fountain. You know, that's all I can think about doing. It just kills me every time. So I turn around and look, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's that song again. Well, I've sort of laid down my job. I I I forgot a joke, and uh, so I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I know. Big surprise, right? Cody forgot something. So, <laughs> but. So I forgot, and I'm not going to open the floor for jokes because, you know, some of them, they, they, they be funny. They, mm, no. So, uh, so we're just going to let that, uh, that lay there, and I'll just try to find a super joke for next week. Uh, super corny is probably what it ended up being. But in the meantime, let us pray now and ask God to uh, bless our time together, shall we? Uh, Father, thank you so much for all of your many blessings, but none more than Jesus. And it's because of him that we are here, that we've gathered like we have uh, to worship and to praise you because of, of him. Lord, your greatness and your glory uh, is, is so wonderful, but without Jesus, that, that grace and glory would be so unreachable and, and, and it, it would be still yet unknown to us. But because of Jesus, we can know your glory, we can know your majesty, we can, we can know what it means to be in your presence uh, because of his selfless sacrifice and, and his resurrection that made way for us to live anew in heaven with you and the Holy Spirit who is your presence that is with us all the days of our life until we, we stand face to face with you anew for the very first time. Our Lord, just thank you for what you've done to bring us back to yourself where we are indeed blessed. And Father, because of that blessing, we, we come continually to your word and we desire it, we long for it, we want to know it because it has drawn close to us. It was your word that, that made it possible for us to even have faith in the first place, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, Lord. And so we, we thank you that your word just speaks powerfully and mightily, that it has saved us and now it continues to redeem us and, and show us your, your righteousness and your ways that we might walk in closer devotion to you. So Lord, open this word as we open the pages and just open our hearts and minds to pour into us what it is you would have us to know today. If it be conviction, let there be conviction. If it need to be comfort, let there be comfort. Lord, uh, and even if there needs to be both, let them be intertwined in such a way that we, we feel your presence and cannot do anything less than, than follow through with what you and your spirit and your word is telling us to do. Lord, use me today, not anything that I've said, but because of what you have already said, to draw hearts closer to you. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me uh, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and uh, it's a rather short passage that we are reading uh, this morning together, but yet it is a passage of great significance. If you don't have this underlined, highlighted, marked about in your Bibles, I would encourage you to do so this morning. Uh, if you don't believe in doing that, uh, you still need to do it anyway. For this is a central theme for the Christian as we live and go about our days. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read into the next verse, verse 2. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. So do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Charlie Jones is a sportscaster, I think we have a picture of him there somewhere, uh, who has covered several Olympic Games in his long career. At the 1996 Games in Atlanta, he was assigned to announce the rowing, canoeing, and kayaking events, a situation that left him less than thrilled since it was broadcast at 7 a.m. and the venue was an hour's drive from Atlanta. What Jones discovered, however, was that it ended up being one of the most memorable sporting events of his career because he gained a chance to understand the mental workings of these Olympic athletes. Preparing for the broadcast, Jones interviewed the rowers and asked them about conditions such as rain, strong winds, or even breaking an oar. And each time the response was the same, that's outside my boat. Each time the response was the same, that's outside my boat. After hearing the same answer again and again, Jones realized that these Olympic athletes had a remarkable focus. In their attempt to win an Olympic medal, he writes that they were interested only in what they could control. And that was about going on, and that was about what was going on inside their boat. Everything else was beyond their control and not worth the expense of mental energy that would distract them from their ultimate goal. Jones writes that this insight made the event by far the best Olympics of his life, and it changed his thinking in other parts of his life as well. Much like rain, strong winds, and breaking an oar for a rower, there are a lot of things that can divert our attention our mental focus from what is going on within our realm and what we are responsible for. Yet, despite this truth, why are we so distracted by the chaos and the noise that surrounds us? For the Christian, for those of us who follow God and look to His Word for the answer, I can tell you that what gets us distracted time and time again always has the same root. It's one word. In fact, it's a name. His name is Satan. He is the one that constantly diverts our attention and our focus because Satan is the antithesis of everything that God is. God is perfection. So then Satan is disorder. God is truth. So Satan then is the father of all lies. God is love, and so Satan himself is hate. I believe we, we get the picture of just the undermining that he tries to do to bring about pain and disorder within the hearts and lives of those who follow and serve and trust the Lord. And just as Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Satan seeks to take and turn God's Word for his own selfish gain. And he didn't just do it to Jesus, he's still doing it now. In fact, he did this in the very beginning of time. God's Word tells us in Psalms chapter 46 and verse 10 that we are to be still and know that I am God. And Satan continues to live to be contrary to that. You see, he tries to fill all of our lives every single day, every single waking moment with stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Stuff. I used to have a professor in Bible college. In fact, they, they were our our literature class or our writing class, and they say, do not use the word stuff and things. 
Sometimes I can't find a better word to use, especially when we know what that stuff is. It's so ambiguous, but yet our lives are still ambiguous. They are still different from each and every single one. That stuff is different for you, and it's different for me. There are so many things that try to to invade our lives and fill our days that Satan is behind to try to divert our focus from God. Satan tries to get us to forget who God is in our life and what He has done for us. Because if God is not in the forefront of all this stuff, even though this stuff's not bad stuff, none of these things are bad stuff in, in their essence, just those few things that are on the screen, but yet they can become major distractions. And some of those things in particular, like that picture of the internet and television and the phone right there, it can, it can go deeper than what it was originally intended for, and it can become really bad stuff. Now, God said in the beginning that everything he made was good. It was perfect. But when sin entered the world, Satan found even a way to take something good and perfect and, and make it something that can be used for our destruction. See, in, in fact, in our lives, I believe that the voice of God has been smothered out sometimes. That the voice of God is, is drowned out in the midst of all of the clamoring that, that happens And I'm not just saying this in generalities. I know it for myself. And I venture to say that you know it's true as well. And when our lives are filled with all this stuff, when God is not at the forefront of our lives and we spend more time thinking about everything else and thinking about Him or thinking about what Jesus would do in a particular situation, when we lose the focus that God asks us to, to maintain on Him, before too long what we find is, is Satan trains us to ask the same question of doubt that he's been asking since the beginning of time. And that's this, did God really say? Do you realize that these are the very first words that Satan ever speaks in the Scriptures? Did God really say? Right from the very beginning, he puts himself on the scene and his words are already filled with doubt. Did God really say? And just like he had Adam and Eve hook, line, and sinker, today this question still grabs us, it still hooks us, and before too long we're caught by the jaw and we cannot get loose. You know, it's so funny that many times we we make mention or we say that we know that our life is totally encapsulated, that it's full of of things going on that, that cause us to be busy. We say, I'm too busy. Or we say, it will be nice when I can get rid of this thing, or I can get rid of that thing, or I can move on to this, or move on to that. Or we say, one day I will. And it's just lip service a lot of times, isn't it? Because so many times we'll say these things. I know I say them. I I just look forward not to being so busy. But I do nothing about it. Do you? Honestly, when we say these things, we, we, we have these realizations that something needs to give. Usually we give before that thing that is causing us busyness, that stuff that is smothering us. Those things don't give before we do. We crack and we crumble when something else could have easily left us in favor of, of simplifying our life. Now, I think we need to train ourselves that when something comes our way and we realize that 
that something needs to change, that something needs to, to give, we need to stop and pray the passage that we read and studied last week that says, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. He speaks peace to His faithful people, but let them not return to their foolish ways. If all we can hear in our life is noise, disorder, we feel that we are at the end of our rope, that we are just far too busy, I can honestly say that God is is not speaking peace in that moment. He tries to when He tells us maybe you need to simplify. In those moments where we realize and we say, you know, I, maybe I need to step back from this or maybe I need, to, I need to rearrange my schedule. Maybe I need to, to work in this area of my life to try to, to try to make it so that I'm not the one who's doing everything. You know, Moses even needed this. His father-in-law came to him and said, you're doing too much. It's time for you to start delegating some responsibility. You know, there are times in our lives where, where God will come in and speak and he'll say, be still and know that I am God. I know in my life I don't listen to him very much. In fact, I fail to listen to those words more than I, than I just simply return to my foolish ways and just keep going about it as if I'm indestructible and I will never break. We just simply acknowledge that there's a problem, but we don't really seek to do anything about it, but, but the reality is, is that it's not enough to just simply acknowledge that there is a problem. It's not enough to acknowledge that we're just distracted by, by the many noises of life. No, we have to put faith into action, into a little bit of effort, that we have to seek to put whatever this is under the blood of Jesus. Now, Paul said in the Philippian letter to that church, he said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He shows us that there's a little bit of effort that we need to do in this salvation that we have. And now I want you to know that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, to buy it, to commandeer it. But once it's been given to us, once it's been granted to us, it must be maintained. And this is why. It all goes back to Satan. We are told in 1 Peter that our great adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is why we must continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I cannot work out your salvation. You cannot work out my salvation. As much as I want to grab some people by the throats in the world and say this is not a proper representation of Jesus Christ, I can't change what they're doing. Just as much as they might look at me and they want to change what I'm doing and they can't do it either. We are only responsible for ourselves. We can encourage and we can beg and we can plead. We can put the gospel out there and we can, we can continue to ask people to, to live up to, as Paul says, what you've already attained in Jesus. The fact of the matter is, is are we even doing that ourselves? Because we're the only people that can do anything about the salvation that we have received. We can't put effort into everybody else, and it's not always going to yield in return. We have to put the effort in 
to us decide in our hearts that this is something that's important to us. That Jesus is something that's important. Because our great adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's seeking to devour us. I'm going to put it to you in, in simple biological terms. If you were malnourished and you had to outrun a lion, do you think you could do it? If you were malnourished, do you think that you could even stand up to the fight against something that was coming after you? If you were physically distraught, do you think that you'd ever stand chance in any kind of a battle? Collectively, the church says, I want you to say it with a little more convincing energy than that because I think we agree that this is true. The answer is no. Of course not. We can't stand up against somebody who's, who's fit, even if they're fit for the wrong reason. Church, if we are malnourished, if we don't have God as the central part of our life, if we're not being strengthened and built up in Him as we are called to by His Scriptures, how can we ever expect to stand up and win against the devil? Now God's strength is the one that we call on. He says, rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. But if you're malnourished, if you're wore out, there are times you can't even speak. You don't even remember what the right word is to say when there is something hard and fast standing up against you. You can't even utter those words. We say it's God we rely on, but who, have we called on Him? Have we asked Him to be present? When we give in, the answer is no. I cannot honestly stand here and tell you that I have committed a sin that I have prayed before and asked God not to allow me to do. Sin comes in a moment of weakness. Temptation is all around us all the time. But the problem is we stand and let him linger too long on the porch. We say we're not going to invite him in, but after a while it's like, hey, why don't you just come on in? You've been here long enough, why don't you just come on in? We're weak. We allow temptation to come near us, and then before too long it has become us. It has devoured us. We cannot stand up against the devil if if we are malnourished in God's words, and that's why we need to take this admonition to heart. I'm not trying to depress us. I'm trying to encourage this church. I hope that in 2020, in this new year, even though it really doesn't mean much other than just another passing of a man-created system of order and time and date, but what it can mean is a marking place for us to begin anew and fresh, deciding that God is going to be our theme for this year. That God is going to be our vision. That when the devil comes our way, we are going to be able to stand up against him because we're standing on the rock, we're standing on Jesus Christ, and we shall not be moved. Church, this is how Paul did it. In, in the book of Philippians, he goes on to write that the one thing he says that he does, that he has to do, is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Paul had to stay focused on Jesus. He had to constantly think about Jesus. He had to constantly picture Jesus. He had to constantly look to Jesus. He had to see Jesus in every bit of his life in order to stay focused 
for that in which God had called him to, to ever see heaven, he had to stand up against the devil and to hold on fast to Christ who saved him and redeemed him, who is pulling him in to his love. And one day he'll see the benefits of the reward. He doesn't want anything standing in the way of him and Jesus, him finally making it to where he desires to be with God forever and eternity. He doesn't want anything stopping him. That's why Jesus is his focus. And church, we would do well to adapt this mindset ourselves. That Jesus is our focus. I'm not going to look to anything else until I look to Him. There is nothing wrong with the things of life, with all the stuff of life. But it has to be seen through the perspective of Jesus. He has to be our mindset. He has to be the glasses in between our eyes and what we see in the world. This is his focus, forgetting what is behind and straining on toward what is ahead. And that mindset for the Christian, the why to do this and the how, is exemplified in no better place in the scripture, I believe, than Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I want to read them for you again. Therefore, in full view of God's mercy, or I urge you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship, or this is your spiritual act of worship. So do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but yet be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve of what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, I have memorized this. I'm not patting myself on the back. And I still give in to sin many times. I mean, that's just the way life is. I give in to sin. But when I'm with the Lord, this passage comes to my mind, and it comes frequently. It's because I have memorized it. It is not far from me. Even in moments where I have given in to sin, I remember God's grace, and He says, next time, next time, remember, remember to be transformed not by this world, but by the renewing of your mind. Remember next time the devil comes up against you, that you might be able to stand. Because just as the rower in the Olympics focuses on the goal to win the prize, to win that medal, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ is our focus. And living for Him is what is inside of our boat. And getting to heaven is what our goal is. And why not? Why not? Why not stay focused on Jesus? Again, Paul tells us so plainly in the first half of verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, in full view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Church, we cannot ever, we should never fail to forget what Christ has done for us. Church, we cannot forget that He did not have to come to this earth, but He chose to anyway. And we cannot forget how God allowed Him and asked Him to come, to leave His side, His one and only begotten Son, to leave the splendors of heaven, to leave 
God, a part of Him leaving this, His realm to come to this world that we might know what it means to have fellowship with God like Jesus has fellowship with God. Church, we can never forget how the king was sent as a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And a cross that was not meant for one who had done no wrong, but a cross that was meant for everyone who had done anything wrong. And we certainly cannot forget how he didn't stay dead. That's probably not proper grammar, but that's just the best this country boy can utter. We cannot forget how Jesus did not stay dead. No, we certainly cannot forget how he rose again and how he did it on his own power. Church, we cannot ever forget any of these things. And that is why Paul puts this admonition in Scripture just like when Moses was standing before the Israelites, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you to live for Christ, almost to say exactly what Moses said, do not forget the Lord. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Paul says, I urge you. There's that call through all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, for the people of God, do not forget what God has done. Because the moment we forget, we start to fall away. We start to question. We start to doubt. We have to have Christ in our vision. The only thing that we desire to see. Because the moment we divert our eyes from Him is the moment we start to look to things that are not of God. The things that maybe are not even bad, that begin to draw us in. The various things of life that Satan uses that's good on the outset to pull us down into a deep, dark place that we can't seemingly come back from at times. At least we think. So church, I'd like to encourage us this year to be proactive rather than reactive. You know, the reactive person just simply responds to everything that comes their way. But the proactive person chooses ahead of time, this is going to be my response. This is going to be how I'm going to handle this. This is how I'm going to deal with that, not just be caught up in a tangent in a frizzy, or, uh, or whatever that is, whenever something comes our way, a frizzy, that's things you pull off your coat. But to be caught, frenzy, that's the word I'm looking for, frenzy. To be caught up in a frenzy when everything just seems to crumble apart. Let us decide ahead of time to be proactive that this is what we're going to do. There are going to be things that come our way that we're not going to have any time to think about. But let's think about the things that we can. Let's go ahead and set up safeguards ahead of time to know what it is that we shouldn't even go near. So the first and most important thing we can do is set up our focus to be on Jesus Christ, to be proactive about that. Choose to put Christ first in our life, that we might maintain our desire and the necessity to live for the God who gave His all for us. Church, we can live above these things of life when we live on the plane of God. When we decide to see the world as, as He sees it, and it's not something mystical, though it is, 
Paul says that these are the mysteries of Christ. The mysteries of Christ he was talking about is how the heavenly can become tangible. How the things of God can be something that, that we can be involved in. And these are one of those great mysteries of Christ. How even in the midst of this world that we can call ourselves up with God's help to a plane of thinking that is above everyone else. Not in a way to cause downcast, trodden people to say that we are better than someone. It's no, I have been able to rise above as our testimony. To rise above these things that once held me fast. The chains and the sins that so easily entangle me and snare me. I, I'm here now. And here's how you can be here too. God raised me up. He can raise you up as well. This is the focus. This is the goal and the desire that God would have us be at. This is the testimony he would have us share with the world. And this is how we do it. Chapter 12 and verse 2 gives us the answer. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a heavy passage, but really I think it's a simple concept. Now, At this time of year, we have it on our minds to make changes by adding things to our lives that we may feel are beneficial. For example, we might decide that we want to add to become more organized. That's something we want to do. We want to add more organization to our life. We might decide that we want to read more. We want to add more literature to our life. We might decide that we want to exercise more, that we want to add more of that, that beneficial physical exercise and energy that expends these terrible, terrible pounds that so many of us, myself included, carry around. You know, we want to add these things to our life that, that are beneficial to us. But have we ever come to 2020 and ask ourselves, what can I give up? Or to a new year, any year it might be, what do I need to, to give up? Because that's what this verse talks about. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This scripture points out that in order to stay focused on God and live a life that's pleasing to Him, sometimes there are things that we need to resolve not to start, but to stop, to give up, so that we can conform more to the pattern of God than we do conform to the pattern of this world. And I'm going to give you some examples. What do we need to trade that we might have a clearer mind for Christ? Is there an addiction that we need to give up, that we need to give to God, that needs to stop? Is there an addiction? And it doesn't just have to be drugs and alcohol. Is there something we're addicted to that is not good for us, that is harming our life and those around us? Is there something of an addiction sort that we need to give up? Is there some bad behavior or habit that needs to be stopped in our life? Now, if somebody comes up to us or, you know, or walks up to us, and they just had a conversation with somebody, and they said, you know, that's just the way they've always been. That is not what God would have for us. If it's not a good quality or characteristic, the Holy Spirit says that it got to go. We got to bear the fruits of the Spirit, not the bitter fruits of the world. It's just the truth. You know, is there some bad behavior or bad habit that inhibits people from seeing God in our life? That they see us in our worldly ways more than they, they see God? Is there something that needs, to, that needs to go in the realm of a bad behavior or a habit? Is there some sort of distraction, something that just kind of pulls us its way all the time, it seems. Some sort of urge or tendency that just constantly pulls us. 
maybe even some frame of mind that we enter into that we know is not of God, but yet it constantly seems to have a hold on us. Is there, is there some sort of noise or distraction that needs to go, that God needs to cover under the blood of his son? Is there maybe even just a bunch of good stuff in our life that maybe we're doing too much of, that we're too overly and heavily involved with? Too much of a good thing is still bad, you know that, right? I'm not discouraging anybody from anything because I'm speaking in generalities. Only God can speak to the heart and tell you exactly what he feels like you need to know. But when we stop to think about it, there are some things in life that just maybe after a while we start to think maybe, maybe they need to go. Because in these areas and in, in so many things, what they're doing is they're pulling our focus. Satan even uses the good stuff to pull our focus from Christ back to the world. That he, he stops us from seeing the need for transformation as Christ and, and, and tells us you just need to walk in uniformity with everybody else. It's that age-old question being asked still by God. If everybody else was jumping off a bridge, would you? God is asking us, are you going to be a follower of the world or are you going to be a follower of Christ? Because the two, by definition and by appearance, are staunchly different. See, church, Psalms chapter 119, verse 105 tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we need to be following his path, walking in his ways and in his righteousness, seeking and pursuing Christ, only looking to him before we see anything else. Because there's a whole lot of dark world around us, but it's not the path and it's not the choices that we need to follow. So again, I ask us, what, what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to stop, maybe, to be able to see the path that God has prepared for us to walk in this new year? You see, it pleases God when we, when we follow passionately after him. This is that good, pleasing, perfect will that we can become a part of. We can become an active participant in the will of God when we live in a way that's good and pleasing to him. And the wonderful thing about it is, is it's good and pleasing to us. God knows that in this world there is only one thing that can really bring true joy, true happiness, and true fulfillment of God's will and peace for us, and that is following after Christ, for he is the way the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through Him. He knows that He is the only way of true satisfaction in our lives. Satan is a great illusionist. He casts the perspective of good on something that is bad. He shines just enough little bit of light on something, gives it just enough attention that it looks like it's good. But then when you get up to it, all you notice is a bunch of shadows that surrounds this thing that he has cast light onto. Just enough that grabs us and pulls us its direction, but it's hollow on the inside. It's like going to, to Disneyland or Disney World and expecting something to be inside the castle. It's just not. It wasn't made for that. It was made to look good. It was made to look appealing. You see it on all the postcards. You see it in all the pictures and all the commercials. But when you really go inside, there's nothing there. It's just a passageway into something else. And that's the way Satan is. He casts an image of something that looks good. But really, it's only the passageway into something that is devastating and harmful to us. Church, may we make Christ our aim and our focus this year and for uh, years to come, as long as God gives them. 
I mean, if he'd come tomorrow, that'd be okay. The only thing I'm worried about is if our hearts are ready and in line with him. May we make Christ, not just tomorrow, a resolution for the next year, but may we make it our resolution now to make Christ our aim and our focus. Whatever the cost, whatever we might have to start, whatever we might have to stop, so that we might stay above distraction, that we might ultimately find ourselves pleasing to God and in the center of His will. For that's the place that He desires us to be. And let me tell you, church, it's a good place. You don't want to be anywhere else. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day and all of Your many blessings and for the opportunity You have given us to gather yet again to worship and to praise you. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have redeemed us and you have saved us, that you have made us new, that you have made us in the likeness of your Son. I just simply ask now, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us. For, Father, as we live and walk in this world, we know from your scriptures that just the moment we do something good, Paul says that sin is right there at our, our doorstep. It's right behind us, ready to, to cause us to fall back into something that is, that is evil. But Lord, you have said that, that you can help us stand strong above temptation. You can help us stand strong above the, the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares us. That you can help us rise above all of that if we just passionately pursue you. Or we're so passionate about so many things in life. We get so excited about, about different things that, that are, you know, at times worth getting excited about. But Lord, is that enthusiasm the same kind of enthusiasm that we serve and live for you with? Lord, help us in that. Show us, Lord, where it is that we can be drawn closer to you. For you're the God who's drawing close to us. You have come as close as you can through Jesus. Born a vulnerable child, but raised up as God who gave his life for us. That we might know what it's like to be free from the, the guilt of sin and death forever. But Lord, there's still a struggle there is still a desire to turn back to the things of old that divert our attention, our focus from you. And Lord, the things that try to keep us from ever experiencing your throne, the things that try to pull us into such a way that make us reject you totally, Lord, don't let that happen. Lord, help encourage us in our deepest heart of hearts to know that we need to be close to you. Lord, that it might not only be a blessing in our life, but Lord, that it might rub off on somebody else who needs to know you too. Help us, Lord, today speak to our hearts. Show us where it is that we need you. In Jesus' name. In our lives, there are things that seek to pull our attention from Jesus Christ. 
I don't know what that thing is in your life, but God does and you do too. If God is moving you in a particular area of your life and in your heart, He's speaking to you right now and He's, he's showing you something that, that needs to be given over to Him, I pray that you will not delay. It's just as simple as saying, Lord, this is too big for me, please take it. And it may not be something that can be settled right now, but it's something that God can, can begin to work in your heart and your life to show you that he really does care about you. That we, if we cast all our cares upon the Lord, that he'll show us the expanse of his care and love for us. Whatever it is, don't leave this place with something gnawing on us and just turn God's spirit away. Lay it down the foot of the cross, and it can even be something good. It can be something that's worrying you to death, something that's bothering you, and you just have not given it yet to Jesus. Let him take it. Let him have it. Let him walk with you through it. And I promise that if we, if we do, we'll begin to experience healing. We'll be able to be above the distractions of life and have a powerful testimony of just exactly how God led us through that difficult time. It might encourage somebody else that just maybe, just maybe God can do the same for me because church, he certainly can. I don't know what that thing is in your life, but I pray for whatever it is that you would lay it down, that you wouldn't keep it any longer, that you give it to the Lord. Maybe you need to lay your very life down. Maybe you have never accepted him. Maybe you feel like that God, you've done too many things wrong for God to ever love you. That is such a lie because <laughs> God sent Jesus to die for the sin of the world and all of our sins, no matter how grievous we may feel they are, are covered, every single one. If you have not yet accepted Jesus, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know what it means to be free from the chains of sin and death, I pray that you will ask God to start that work in your heart today. That he will show you how to follow in his ways, in his righteousness, that you would come to Christ and, and find yourself being washed anew in the waters of baptism that you might not go back into this life just, just walking your own way, but walking God's way through it all. What a blessing I promise you'll find. Maybe you just need to pray for something on your heart in your life. Maybe you've got a physical ailment. Maybe you've got something mental going on, spiritual, some kind of stress. Just something that, that God just needs to take. That you need to be prayed over for God's healing, whatever it might be. Don't leave this place not knowing what God could do for you because he certainly loves you enough to bear your burdens with you. All you have to do is take him up on his offer. He stands to offer it today as we stand and we sing.